Testing. Hey, Mike. Hi. Just us so far. It's interesting that I, I'm using the fancier software for the green screen solution. And the fancier software doesn't even have the feature that Zoom has to sort of automatically detect what looks like a person and then block out behind the person. But I can imagine how that's kind of such a fuzzy technology anyway, that they might even not want to do technical support for that kind of thing. Yeah. Are you using OBS? I'm using Wirecast right now. Oh, okay. Hey guys. Hey. Have you, yeah. Have you guys met Andrew and Nathan? I don't think so. Um, yeah, I don't believe so. You might have been in one of the Law One, uh, like your monthly meetup a few months back that I was able to attend. But um, yeah, I can't remember outside of there. Yeah, that may have been it. Well, either way, it's nice to meet or see you again. You as well. Yeah, really looking forward to it. Nathan started a Law of One meetup group up in Denver, right? Yeah, yeah, up in the Denver area, we do a monthly meetup. We typically are out at the Wash Park area um, downtown, but now that the weather's obviously changed a little bit, we try to find some indoor um, sort of place. But yeah, we've been going for about a year and a half now, so it's been, yeah, it's been good. A lot of good insight, and just as yours, it's like you meet a lot of new people and new perspectives, and it's been really beneficial, I think. So what kind of uh, subjects do you normally go over in the, in your meetings? Um, so we'll range between a whole bunch of different things. I mean, so we'll pick on some of the more detailed stuff like disciplines of the personality, or we'll go over some of the more basic stuff like energy centers. And really, it's whatever. I try to come up with one sort of topic. And then uh, if anybody else has anything to input from there, we'll kind of break down other ideas. But um, that, I think, what was one of the other ones we were just talking about recently? Uh, it's escaping me now, but yeah, just more general topics usually. And then um, usually people have other ideas and stuff they'd like to ask about. And it also depends on the range of 
uh, people who come up with their experiences also with the law of one if we're you know more going over some of the basic stuff or if they have some background to go into a little more details yeah that's kind of how it's always been for this meeting too or the second sunday meetings i've been doing with what i was doing with jade originally and that was i don't know if it was frustrating for her or not but it, it felt like it was always random if it would be like a, a reset with a lot of new people you have to do a lot of introductory stuff and so there was there was there was always a discussion i think of having a separate beginners meeting and a advanced students meeting um so that it wouldn't just be rehashing so much right but, um yeah it's it's kind of like even the basic stuff uh feels like it's worth rehashing sometimes the when we're actually reading the material at least there's so many nuances to the to what raw is saying yeah so that's kind of why i was hoping to go over and nick just sent me a text message i think he's going to be joining um i think he's needing help here okay all right I think he's good now. Um, I guess he didn't know what link to use and must not see the email. Um, but I guess maybe I'll. So, yeah, this meeting, I thought, and I know that it's probably been six months ago to 12 months ago that we've talked about um, the healing exercises of session five. But I feel like they, I have this feeling like there's certain parts of the material that are like worthy of multiple books worth of study. And they just they they summarized it down to such a short snippet that it, it really needs to be unpacked more fully. And I don't even think I could we could do it justice today with session five, the healing exercises, because I feel like the potentials of how we could explore what what it means to find the opposite in the experiences that we're having in order to balance them. I feel like that it sounds so simple, but I think there's got got to be a lot more. Um, that, that we're not seeing when we're processing our own emotions, the opportunities that we have to process them differently if we if we applied this insight more more thoroughly. Um, and I don't normally go through my day thinking in terms of opposites. You know, it's like a very rare thing that I I have a, a negative emotional reaction and immediately think, oh, I need to find what the opposite reaction would be because it's like I'm so focused on that particular situation that led to that reaction. Um, okay, Nick is here now. Right, but then I think too, like rehashing some of that also, or like re-going over it, also kind of re-puts it into your mind again too, to kind of uh, look at those situations slightly differently where you wouldn't have that perspective before, but it's, I don't know, that's why I like revisiting some of those spots that you were talking about too in the material, because it, I don't know, kind of makes it fresh in your mind again, so when something happens, you can look at it differently that way, but. Yeah. Um, I agree with you uh, as well, Mike, on especially like number five, too. I was just reading through that again. And for being so early on, it's one that probably didn't even register as fully with me uh, when I first read the books because it was it was so early on and I was still sort of getting a grasp of it. And you're right, there's a ton there. Yeah, and so I guess for these for this particular meeting, I think it'd be fun to just do a deep dive into mainly session five um, and to unpack the depth of it. And I think between the four of us, we'll have insights 
that are probably unique that and maybe maybe we continue to have insights you know the more we dig into it um and uh it seems like the theme of this discussion uh, at least in the terms of the law of one categorization this would be called the healing category but it's interesting that they you know they say this is this is how you make contact with intelligent infinity also which could be said to be like the ultimate spiritual achievement um achievement might not be the right word for it too because it's like you're almost dissolving your identity when you when you do these things you're removing that which is the achiever and you're becoming you know pure light and love um at least that's my understanding of intelligent infinity right now um so i guess we could just dive right in um not sure if it's appropriate to do introductions but i think um i think it, for, for these particular recorded meetings, I think if we want to have introductions, we could have that be like a separate recording or something like that. And then and then just have these meetings just be focused on studying the material and that way we don't have to worry about um, the people who are watching it needing more material uh, to, to learn about the context because we'll just have that be a separate recording if we need that. Um, but yeah, it, it is my hope to share these recordings with people who are interested in, in learning and, and deeper and probably probably cut out this little snippet here and edit these down a little bit as needed um but but I'm, I'm kind of excited to um see also if the the collective energy of people who will be watching also amplifies something about our ability to channel in more energy into this meeting and into our seeking process at this time too perhaps yeah, even think, in a non-linear way right exactly which i which i'm particularly interested in these days yeah um yeah i like that idea a lot mike just from the standpoint too where it's kind of hard to find detailed information on the law of one it seems like unless you're going through the book yourself doing the studies i know there's a few good youtube channels and areas to go but with the website you've created and the opportunities of the actual spiritual seekers coming to that website and also looking for this information it's like the perfect um sort of mechanism i guess to to get some more of this information out there and to be able to explain some of this information further since it is so dense and has a tendency to be quite overwhelming for, at first as well yeah yeah I, I certainly when i first read the material i did not even begin to unpack some of this it was just like beginning to understand the nuances of the language and at this point it's like I, I see phrases like intelligent infinity, intelligent energy, and they mean a whole host of things that they couldn't possibly have meant when I first read them. Um, but you were definitely still laying down the vocabulary when you got to session five, because I reread it again. And like you guys were saying, it's once once you get through it and all those concepts, uh, all the vocabulary has a, a built in concept in your mind. And then you go back and read these earlier sessions. It's, it seems like it unlocks. Uh, it unlocks the material further because at the beginning you're you're just like still like what mind body spirit complex what what and every time i read that i was still trying to process mind body spirit complex and now i go back i'm like oh yeah mind body spirit complex yeah <laughs> all right i think to dive in we could um start with session four because it was interesting that session four was kind of like uh, a bit of a synopsis of what was going to be coming in session five in a, a a short and sweet way which here we go so uh question 17 the question is 
Is it possible for you to give me a synopsis of the program of training required? I have no knowledge of what questions to ask at this point. And this was referring to uh, question 15, which was, will, would it be possible for you to train us in, in healing practice? So this is a very generic concept. He doesn't say any kind of healing. It just says healing. So there's an implication here that healing is one thing. And that, that alone is fascinating, that, that the, the healing of mind, body, and spirit can be seen as, as one kind of thing that can be accomplished by uh, a person open to healing. Um, he does say in the, in the earlier one, in um, uh, 4.12, once I have selected an individual to perform healing, it would be helpful to receive instruction from you. So, you know, it, it seems like they had laid down that baseline that they were going to do some type of energetic healing. I see. Yeah, there could be an implied notion that this is an energy healing. Mm -hmm. Because it does seem like a recurring theme for Don to be asking about um, energy healing uh, and, and balancing. It just keeps coming up over and over again about the balancing of the mind-body-spirit complex in different aspects. Yeah, yeah. In session, in question ten here, this is where they say this: is, there is one health, as you call it, in your polarized environment, but there are several significantly various distortions of types of mind-body-spirit complexes. Each type must pursue its own learned teaching in this area. So yeah, I think they're kind of. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Mike. No, you, you go ahead. I was just going to say, I think their perspective on what healing means also changes as you go through the material as well. So it's not just a physical or energetic thing. It's also spiritual in addition to everything else on there. So it's a much more complex idea than what we typically think of as healing, just as more physical or healing certain particular things. This is a full, well-rounded idea that, that Ra is trying to give them of what health and, and healing actually is and balancing. I think it's a continuum. When we talk about energetic healing, we're talking about generally, um, at least in my mind, the subtle energy bodies, which are the causal bodies. And so the, the physical body is manifesting what's uh, what's present energetically. So I think it really is one long continuum. So when they say that, it, that there's one health, that kind of makes sense. And my guess is that the healing in this case is probably happening uh, at the causal level, which is then of course, trickling down to the physical. Yeah, and they talk about that as being time space and other places. Once healing happens on time space, then it's inevitable it will flow through to space time, the body. And throughout the entire material, Ra is just constantly uh, saying, it's difficult for us to see each individual. We see you as a whole entity. So it, it would suggest that he is coming from that, that uh, time space and healing downward. He's coming from a higher perspective when he explains everything. And even when they go into questions where they ask more detailed questions of healing, he goes, you know, we have referred to this. Uh, we have already uh, touched on this topic. Please refer back to the earlier stuff because to them, it is all the same. You know, once you start the healing process, you're healing the whole being, the whole entity. Yeah. All right. So this synopsis started with the question, um, just is it possible for you to give a synopsis of the program? And Ra says, I am Ra. We consider your request for information, as you noted. There are a significant number of vibratory, or as you noted, there are a significant number of vibratory sound complexes which can be used in sequence to train the healer. 
So they're saying there's statements that we can use to train the healer. Um, the synopsis is a very appropriate entry that you might understand what is involved. Firstly, the mind must be known to itself. This is perhaps the most demanding part of the healing work. If the mind knows itself, then the most important aspect of healing has occurred, for consciousness is the microcosm of the law of one. So this also seems to relate to what they, when they say the disciplines of the personality are know yourself, accept yourself, become the creator. It seems as though um, the most demanding part, they say, is the discipline of knowing yourself. And they don't just say know yourself here. They say the mind must be known to itself. So I guess the mind is the knower portion of the self. Um, and so I suppose the use of our mind has to be something we come more into awareness of. And I think that's kind of like what meditation helps us with the discipline of, of knowing the mind and what's going on in the mind. Self-awareness. Say that again. Uh, would you equate this to self-awareness? Yeah. More broadly. Okay. Yeah. And also consider that parts of the whole, they talk about the roots of the tree of mind. So it's also knowing yourself, but it's also the depth of the mind in that case too. So starting at the conscious mind, going down then the trunk to the intuition and through the different levels of the unconscious mind as well, because that's all part of the self, but it's like another level, I guess, to it that you also need to understand. And hence also then the oneness comes with that as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah, the depth of the mind is almost infinite, right? It's like you can't really explore the whole mind, but I suppose um, the, 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 you know, they, when they say that the, the tree of mind goes into the planetary consciousness, I assume there's like the individual consciousness that is grafted into the tree of the planetary consciousness. And I guess it's the, you know, the deeper you, you dive in, the, the deeper the healing of the self is occurring, I guess, of the of the planetary self versus the individual self. Yeah, I think the order they have it there from the intuition, so going into the unconscious was the personal unconscious, the racial mind, planetary mind, archetypal mind, and then cosmic mind from there, which leads to the uh, spirit complex as being the final part there. But so there's lots of different depths and uh, complications and <laughs> much to unpack on each level, it seems. I think that uh, when he says, firstly, the mind must be known to itself, to me, when I read that the first time, and, and even more so when I came back and reread it just before this, it's, it's like um, it, it, when you first start meditating and can't quite shut your mind up, uh, and then you, you, know, you get that one time where you actually get everything to be quiet, and you get down to that place where you're... you're you're just receiving, you're, you're, you're completely silent in your own thoughts and you're, you're receiving. That would, to me, be like the, the deepest portion of the self mind before you get into the planetary mind or the racial mind, the actual sitting with your mind, but not, not having thoughts. Or if you have the thoughts, you just watch it. You know, uh, uh, a meditation practice is always like, if you have the thought, acknowledge the thought and put it into the river so that it can flow down the river but just sit there and try and be as quiet as possible. And, and that's what I actually noted in my thing. The mind must know, uh, must be known to itself. So you must know which thoughts are going through your head, which thoughts you're acting upon, which thoughts are acting upon you. You know, you have to be able to know those different levels. 
And that does seem to be the focus of session five that we'll get into. Um, oh, I just wanted to add on to that with a second sentence there in that paragraph that we're looking at. Um, if the mind knows itself, then the most important aspect of healing has occurred. Um, I don't know if there's a lot there, but for consciousness is the microcosm of the law of one. I'm trying to uh, to glean the the nugget from that and what i'm what i'm feeling is that the law of one is a system of distortions in a way like a hierarchical you know all is one and then we have the first distortion second distortion third distortion and then some number of distortions um kind of fractaling out underneath that and it sure like that's um also the structure of consciousness because we've got um to nathan's point as we get higher and higher up to archetypal uh, components of consciousness those are shared across everyone so um, perhaps part of the mind knowing itself is as much a matter of knowing that it's on again some level of continuum so getting um, some context around um, that there can be movement perhaps so I, I guess i'm trying to create again a spectrum even in this one paragraph between um, are we expecting that the mind needs to know itself completely? And they do say that this is the most demanding work, and therefore um, maybe that is a really tall order. Or is it the the very initial stages of getting sort of broken out of the the egoic mindset that's normally uh, keeps us uh, ignorant of the rest of this hierarchical construct of consciousness? It could be a mix of those, yeah. Hmm. it is very fascinating to also to think of uh our, our, when they say consciousness is the microcosm is that because unconsciousness is the macrocosm i don't actually i don't discern um un or subconsciousness as separate from consciousness in this statement for some reason i'm same way Okay, this is, this is like the being, the conscious being with their conscious, their their conscious and their subconscious, but just the, the entity as the the, I guess, unit of consciousness. If that makes yeah. sense, the matrix of mind archetype basically is also a way yeah. of looking at it. Yeah, they say the matrix of mind is consciousness, also the magician, and that's connected to the the heart of free will. Basically, is working from uh, consciousness. To, to delve into the potentiator, which is the unconscious mind. Um, but I think these are always implying that consciousness is the, is the actor, the worker working through and, and digging deeper into um, an exploration of the nature of reality through, um, through this free will applied to light and love. So if consciousness is a subset. How would you um, how would you equate that to the law of one as a microcosm? Well, the law of one. I guess they're saying the law of one is is everything. Um, but what are the what's the the holographic or fractalized? What's the parallel? I guess in this, like I said, I I, I yeah. gravitate toward distortion because that's that's the the function by which one you know becomes discerned as 
um, something other than one, I guess, effectively. So I'm curious to see how that maps through into conscious yeah, awareness. Yeah, that, that, is, that is fair to say. I guess there's really nothing but distortion once you're um, talking about the subdivisions of the law of one and the subdivisions are all um, conscious. feel like this is one of those times where Ra either intentionally or unintentionally left it very open and vague. And, and the way I would think it would be intentionally would be to make you have these thoughts, to make you go down this path to, you know, try and put words to the, the um, statement there, consciousness is a microcosm and, and to have this exact conversation or unintentionally because it seems so many times in the, in these readings that Ra will, will say something and try and define it and redefine it and redefine it because words fall short. Sure. Yeah. In this case, they do also, by the way, open up with that. This is a synopsis. So it's probably well that we're starting with this and are going to dive in a little bit further. So it might be that they intended this to be relatively high level or conceptual. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. We can move on then. Um, the second part of healing, the healing synopsis has to do with the disciplines of the body complexes and the streamings reaching your planet at this time. These understandings and disciplines have to do with the balance between love and wisdom and the use of the body in its natural functions. So when they say the streamings reaching your planet, I, I kind of understand this to mean like electromagnetic forces, which they refer to, um, it, 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 you could say that's like the subtle body, I think, that everything kind of is manifesting out of these cosmic energies, and these cosmic energies kind of create the creation through through energy that's of a metaphysical nature, I think, although that's a, that's a large study, I think. Um, where, where they refer to body complexes, is that um, normally specifically yellow ray uh, physical incarnate body complex, or are they more holistic, um, referring to also um, the subtle energy bodies? I think that usually does refer to just the physical, but maybe, no, actually, there's a, there's a point in the material where they talk about each of the types of the bodies, and they say there are many kinds of bodies, astral bodies, uh, devarcanic bodies, they, they go into a lot of different um, etheric bodies, don't they? Yeah, and that's what I'm trying to figure out what they're referring to in this particular case, because it seems germane. Yeah. Well, and it, the, the fact that he says body complexes shouldn't be lost either, because he talked about mind-body-spirit and then mind-body-spirit complexes, and if I'm not mistaken, the complex was when um, the veil was introduced. Is yeah. That, is that, am, I, am I right there? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, just, just the addition of that one word changed a lot of what he meant in, in the mind-body-spirit complex, the totality of the experience. I wonder if specifically said body complexes to mean something specific, like maybe, maybe they're talking about in, in these passages, mastering the mind, uh, mastering the body and mastering the spirit. Maybe they are referring to, because he also says 
um, uh, the, in its natural functions. I, I, I always thought that he was referring in these, in these specific passages to like your, your biochemical body, your, you know, the vehicle that you're using to, to move through the experience. Yeah, that's a different way than I had looked at this before, because I always kind of uh, read this one as the streamings entering your planet at this time, meaning as the energy coming in currently, which is the more fourth den density energy, which they talk about the balance between love and wisdom. So I guess I had previously interpreted this as a current situation that Earth is kind of going through now with these particular energy streamings that are bringing us into that fourth density in the way that they're balancing the love and wisdom to be able to achieve that. But um, I, I kind of like your guys' a little more broader ideas of where that's where that might be coming from as well. Yeah, that's a good point. And, um, and what, what you said fits in with what, what I was saying, because the streamings, you know, come into the body and then they say to, to do to use the body as its natural functions. And one of the body's natural functions is experience. And part of the experience is that those fourth density um, streamings that come in. I could I could also think that they were talking about streamings reaching your planet at this time because they specifically said that we were under a quarantine. So you know when the quarantine's lifted, there'll be different streamings that we'll have to balance with love and wisdom. Right, it'll change as we progress or something, as it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm uh, pulling up a search of streamings more broadly to try and determine if they contextually um you know if there's some further definition around that um in four eight however the streamings from the universe were at the time we attempted to aid this planet those which required a certain understanding of purity this understanding has as the streamings revolve and all things evolve changed to a more enlightened view of purity Sir, those among your people at this time whose purity is already one with intelligent infinity. Um, <clears throat> and then, um, yeah, without the use of structures, healer patient can gain healing. So streaming seems does seem to be um, universal. I mean, it does say how the streamings from the universe were at the time. So this is um, time space then probably, not space time. Um, energy that's streaming... Um, at all places, at all times. It almost seems to mean information, whether it be, uh, you know, um, elements coming from the sun, uh, ions coming from the sun, or whether it be higher density beings trying to communicate, just information in whatever form it may, you know, it may impact the planet. It may, it may interact with the planet and the beings on it. Yeah, just broadcast maybe in general. Yeah. Hmm. And then, it, then it makes me think of absolutely everything is vibration and oscillation, and you know whether it be the fourth density streaming uh, talking to you, you know, talking to you, that's a vibration or an oscillation. Uh, elements are vibrations and oscillations. So the streaming is just like how the vibration of things you're interacting with how you interact with them to balance them with love and wisdom yeah this is a a little bit of a confusing one uh, because it it is suggesting that the the streamings are evolving and there there's a more enlightened view of purity possible now 
than was occurring in the past, it sounds like. Um, so I, I think this must relate to the increase in the vibration of the streamings. And this is making the job easier, I assume now, to, to use this, this energy for healing purposes. And that's what that's why they say without the use of structures, healer patient can gain healing. And this was originally a question about the pyramids. I probably should have read the whole thing to start with, but I guess um, <laughs> this might be a bit of a detour. Um, but but so, yeah, we're still kind of back at this. Um, is this the physical body complex that we're talking about here? And I've got a few things that draw me to that obviously they they call out body complexes specifically and then also refer to natural functions now that's not to say that we don't have natural functions in the energetic subtle energy bodies as well but when we go in you know the the in-between clause there with understandings and disciplines have to do with the balance between love and wisdom and i'm trying to figure out um where love and wisdom factor into the physical body complexes i suppose if that's a chakra thing or more of a, um, a polarity thing that we might see closer to the tree of life for example i think we could probably can get into that in session five more too but i i feel like there's there's a lot of examples of um uh, just simple we could we could imagine like a person could say it's very loving to feed your child all the food that you have and just fatten them up very well and that's not necessarily a wise path but it could be using love to um help the body in its natural functions you know and wisdom might be to um not give them as much sugar and and um help them have a healthy diet and that could be you know the implementation of balancing love and wisdom and and fueling the body complex so that's that's the simplest example I, I can think of. Okay. Yeah, uh, I was trying to consider that one as well too, if like how how that would work either from like a physical some health standpoint too. So what you're doing to treat your body well with with love and then being able to balance that. So say like working out, you understand that you're doing this to to better yourself physically in that sense and which in turn helps you mentally. But you have the wisdom, you have to balance it to know at a certain point of when to stop, when it could be detrimental. Uh, but then I was also looking at it as like a emotional standpoint too, and your your feelings and how that might impact you and how to how to balance it from that point. But this one was a little tricky to me too. I was asking the same question as Andrew when I was rereading this again. Yeah. And you could be someone that is so loving that you do absolutely everything to help everyone else to the detriment of your own health. You know, like if, I don't know, I couldn't even think of an example, but you just, you're just constantly helping other people without paying attention to helping yourself. That would be an imbalance of love and wisdom. You know, you're, you're full of love, but you're not using it wisely because you're going to burn yourself out and then you're not going to be able to help anybody. Yeah. We have to keep the body working as a functioning machine that it's not completely burned out. Um, 418, um, sorry, the next question, they actually do dive into this more. Uh. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, all right. Um, 
uh, we can just finish this one off then say the third area is the spiritual and in this area the first two disciplines are connected through the attainment of contact with intelligent infinity and i'm sure we'll get into that much more with session five um that they you know they're basically saying these the, the point of this balance is to sort of be able to leverage the body and mind together properly properly and that that gives us the the ability to open up the the, the crown chakra basically with with the access to the, the higher aspects of the self in our uh, yoga teaching the the instructors continually said that the whole point of yoga asanas the movements is to ready the body to sit still in meditation so that i mean to have the discipline of body and the discipline of mind to put those two disciplines together to be able to sit for long periods of time in meditation to attain the quietness and to uh, as they say in one of them i can't remember which one it was but they say to reach upward and to reach downward uh, you know and to uh, receive the downstreaming of intelligent infinity and that that didn't come to my mind when I read it either of the the two times I've read it, but just now it, it was it was constantly told us that uh, the the entire practice is to yoke together to bring together the mind, body, and the spirit. They didn't actually say that. They I'm I'm using Ra's words, but it was you do the movements to get the body to sit, and you you do the mental work to be able to get the body and the mind to sit together. And then you're an open vessel to receive, you know, that third area in this area. Uh, the first two disciplines are connected through the attainment of the contact with intelligent infinity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense, too, from a little bit I've studied yoga as well. I mean, the intent is to make your body supple to be able to sit, because if you're sitting there with back pain, you're not able to sit in silence or to be able to still the mind long enough to be able to actually receive some of these uh, teachings and um, understandings yeah, of the universe. Yeah. And I know personally, one of, one of the things that always came up for me um, when I was sitting there after, after being far enough into the course to got my body supple enough and, and knew how to stack my spine, that wasn't a problem. Then it was quieting the mind up. And like you said, you know, if you're, if you have back pain, you're not going to be able to quiet your mind up. You're going to be thinking of that. There's other things too. I mean, your daily life constantly pulls on you and like scratches at you as you're meditating. And you kind of have to be able to set that all aside. You know, I'm hungry. Okay. Well, we'll deal with that later. You know, I have to uh, pay the bills. We'll deal with that later. We're here for this right now. And that's part of um, the mind knowing itself, you know? So we could check out this next one that Don asks these follow-ups. Um, he asks, could you elaborate the steps? Um, and Ra says, imagine the body, imagine the more dense aspects of the body, proceed therefrom, and I assume this means the physical body, proceed therefrom to the very finest knowledge of energy pathways which revolve and cause the body to be energized. Understand that all natural functions of the body have all aspects from dense to fine. It can be transmuted to what you may call sacramental. This is a brief investigation of the second area. So this 
um, <clears throat> proceed therefrom to the very finest knowledge of energy pathways which revolve and cause the body to be energized. So would you guys take that to mean we're starting with the dense, but then we're moving into the causal energy bodies. So we are effectively yes. talking about the all of those things in conjunction. That seems to make sense. Okay. And that, that seems also to relate to how um, a more advanced healer would be able to simply use their mind and and manifest more of a correction to their physical body through through that process because the energy pathways are coming through the mind into the body as it's manifesting i think yeah i think there's other parts of the material where they, they actually describe that the there's there, there actually is a connection to the the roots of the physical that are anchored in um in like the unconscious mind Hmm. So is that the where they kind of then make the correlation between being able to heal yourself in time space, which then transitions down into the space time sort of situation. So within time space, if you were able to heal uh, some sort of bodily condition, say, um, I, you know, you've heard about some of these cases of people being able to have spinal injuries and being able to heal themselves like Joe Dispenza going through and doing this in the time space realm and being able to visualize and be able to heal yourself there, which then ultimately comes down into space time and then is manifested in the physical body from that sense. Right. That could also be what he means by body complex, all of it, physical, subtle, you know, your body in space time, your body in time space. Maybe that's why they use the word complex because they meant this entire totality of that portion of the experience. Right. I, I would agree. Yeah. So the next sentence then seems to be the the crux of what we're looking at for the clarification then. The understand that all natural functions, yeah. Yeah. And when they use the word sacramental, that of course reminds me of when they they mentioned that the activation of the highest see if i do if we do a search for sacramental that shows up the idea of the indigo ray the basically the pineal gland uh third eye center is what they call the sacramental portion of the body complex whereby contact may be made through the violet ray with intelligent infinity and they also say um they're talking about in the context of sexual activity that person can use sexual energy exchange once they act once they unblock all the chakras to unlock the sacramental understanding or connection shall we say with the gateway to intelligent infinity and then there's another point part here where they refer to yeah it always refers to the indigo center the indigo chakra when they're talking about sacramental awareness and they say the last uh, way in which we understand our experiences in terms is in terms of the sacramental nature of each experience. So this is a process of of up-leveling our kundalini or our perspective of reality through activating and unblocking all of our energy centers until the the awareness of the of the reality of what, what we're looking at is seeing in terms of the sacramental nature. And then I think the mind is able to like rewrite reality more directly. Uh, with, with with that with that awareness that everything is about the infinite creator 
manifesting and sacrament means means like offering as a gift to god i do define define sacramental relating to or constituting a sacrament or the sacraments and an observance analogous to but not reckoned among the sacraments such as the use of holy water or the sign of the cross um and maybe there's more here well in that second definition i mean that uh usage of uh holy water or the sign of the cross i mean that's you using your body your being your experience to be that connection with intelligent infinity that you become in your actions, your thoughts, and your doings, the sacrament for for intelligent infinity. Right, right. Our whole body is becoming the holy water-filled vessel. And and they also say uh, the definition of sacrament can just mean a religious symbol or a thing of mysterious and sacred significance. But I think they're, you know, they're invoking all this religious symbolism for a reason here because of how much um holiness is applied to sacraments in the catholic church and, and what they're saying is that all the natural functions of the body can be transmuted to what you may call sacramental right so okay so it's the functions of the body that can be transmuted to become sacramental, meaning that that we're almost the assignment of of purpose to the body's function to be in service to the creator, for example, or um, yeah. that kind of reminds me of the section above where you're at with the the sexual energy transfers. Um, and I kind of got to wondering, I guess, through that when I read it originally, whether that was related to the tantra or not i know that's off topic but that is definitely discussed at one do you remember that um what was the word yeah huh. so 813 was referring to um sexual energy transfer and I got to go up to see what they're talking about originally. The crystallized centers become quite remarkable in the high voltage characteristics of the energy transfer as it reaches green ray. And indeed, as green ray is crystallized, this also applies to the higher energy centers until such transfers become an honestation for the creator, which means an adornment or grace. Ah, so a, a sacrament. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, and then later down here when he's asking specific, specifics about this, could you give me an example of what would be called a other than Christian religious distortion system of the law of one? <laughs> and the other than Christian system they refer to is that called tantric yoga. And I think they're also just saying that Christians don't have this kind of concept in their religion. And its teachings always half lost. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's not great news if you're a follower of any other wisdom. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
each system is quite distorted and it's, yeah, teaching system, half it's, not, it's not just tantric yoga it's, they're all half lost <laughs> yeah yeah that's when you've got to get to that um no matter what system you're studying or discipline you're studying they all one way or another come down to a lot of the same core concepts that seems to be more the undistorted version of it then you start getting the human uh aspect and and interpretation and it just gets a little bit muddied as you go further and further so going back to 418 i'm i'm feeling a little bit like um not to not to muddy it completely with um reference to kind of catholic practice but i used to work with somebody who used to be a a a priest or even a uh, i think he was in a a monastery even for a while and um anyway everything that he did like everything that he did in his work while it was very long and tedious and painstaking and and often took two or three times longer than it would have taken even me to do even though he'd been doing it for years um i knew because he told me he dove into this a lot that you know everything literally that he's doing physically is in um service effectively to to god and so that's sort of what i'm what i'm reading out of this is that the natural functions of the body um can can be transmuted to more or less an offering to the creator at least that's what i'm that's what i'm seeing here it's not so much that it's coming from uh intuition or anything yeah that's and it definitely seems like this is kind of about removing our sense of ego a lot of the equation our separate self is the one not being served but god is the one being served through the way that we see our the use of our body yeah and then uh the if you go to it's four four twenty uh the second paragraph in ra's answer he says it's um one of the primal distortions of the law of one is that of healing healing occurs when the mind body spirit complex realizes deep within itself the law of one that uh that is that there is no disharmony no imperfection all is complete and whole and perfect so you could go for a walk you could go for a hike and the entire time be angry or mulling over what happened in your day or pissed off to somebody cut you off in traffic or you know whatever or you could go on that hike and just be in awe of your surroundings and know that you're one with the all with all of this and you know that that sentence to me really stuck out it's like because previously said um to reach an undistorted understanding of that law it is not necessary to heal or indeed to show any manifestation but only to exercise the disciplines of understanding and to me the exercise the disciplines of understanding is to realize deep within the law of one, that everything is in harmony, everything is complete and everything is perfect. And then everything you do and all of your thoughts, if you if you can attain that level of um, consistency and resonance with the perfection of everything, then everything you do is a sacrament. Yeah, the, the second half of that paragraph you called out there is also pretty helpful in what we're talking about because um, saying that once you do that, then yeah. intelligent infinity can reform the illusion of the body to be congruent, effectively healing itself. And then the healer acts as an energizer catalyst for this completely individual process. So 
um, going back to what we were talking about, we're really not healing anything in the physical. We're uh, we're not even necessarily healing something energetically per se, in so much as we're healing a perception, um, which um, sort of uh, reminds me a little bit of the Course in Miracles and atonement and that sort of thing. Although, Mike, I think you have a, a better recall of that than um, than I do, but it does seem like the healing in this case is really healing the perception of separation because what Ra is saying seems pretty direct in this paragraph that once you realize that all is one, you will be um, what I think Paul Selig's guides uh, refer to as re-articulated, uh, meaning you know the, the physical form that you're in um, becomes re, re-spoken, uh, re, re-told uh, by consciousness and um, in a way that will allow hold the higher vibration. Yeah. I think this also relates to what they call the form maker as being a part of uh, the indigo body that is basically forming our reality. And that in between incarnations, the form maker is essentially, you know, determining the next incarnation from this highest state of consciousness. So it's, it's like uh, we don't have any choice, but to be formed by this, this highest intelligent infinity working through uh, the indigo and the time space into the space time as just a continuous flow of of the basically the creator choosing to have this experience so we go back to 418 and read the last paragraph there um referring to the third area here the spiritual area of the two disciplines being connected they re-elaborate here saying Imagine, if you will, the function of the magnet. The magnet has two poles. One reaches up, the other goes down. The function of the spirit is to integrate the upreaching yearning of the mind-body energy with the downpouring and streaming of infinite intelligence. This is a brief explanation of the third area. And this gets into the nature of the kundalini also and the the chakra system. Um, And they refer to that as being... um, you know the the meeting place of the of the upward and downward seeking energies which are the infinite nature and the mind body nature which is like the the experiment that we're that we're in with this incarnation and that might be a, a longer subject maybe the next meeting that we have we could go more into this chakra system nature because that's um that's kind of confusing too the how there's these two different energies that are upward versus downward that are interacting and the the level of awareness that we're taking the perspectives that we're having seem to be based on the meeting place what what, where we've where we've synthesized these two energies at what what point in the in the chakra system the energy center system we've we've synthesized these determines our 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 level of awareness if we're in a state of love if we're in a state of fear if we're in any kind of a lens of reality that that's based on this interaction between these energies it also had to do with then the balancing as well being able to recognize what sort of feelings or emotions are tied to which energy centers and being able to properly balance certain actions reactions that happen in your life with the associated energy center to then be able to tell which which level i guess you're at and then to then be able to better raise that energy up as well just another level of understanding, I guess, to it too. Yeah. 
And if you if you can examine, like you said, your reaction to something, uh, you can find your reaction will come out of love or fear in one of the shockers, as you were saying. You can find, you know, you may have four or five just, you know, how, what words does he use? He uses um, brilliance, speed, and rotation. The activity of the centers are perfect. But if you respond to certain things in certain ways all the time, that can show you and enlighten you to which areas are blocked, you know, what, what areas need to work. Exactly. And also get in the concept of the biases as well, which I kind of find fascinating too in there because we all have these kind of unconscious biases towards certain situations to everything else. And being able to further analyze that, you realize where potential blockages might be and as a way to then be able to access higher energy too from that point. So it's, yeah, ties in with that and catalysts as well and being able to use them. So we, I think we're close to jumping into the next session here. Um, and we don't have to try to finish the entire next session also, but I thought um, also to give context to uh, uh, session five, I would read off uh, uh, from session 41, question 19 here. Um, and I really mainly wanted to read the second paragraph here. Um, but I think the first paragraph is also helpful to keep in mind too, when we're, we're thinking about what are we really trying to achieve when we're trying to achieve spiritual balance? I think some people, they they try to achieve as much spiritual energy as possible through their practice. And um, this 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 question kind of puts a context around what the, what the goal really is with balancing. Um, so the, the question was um, that Ra had mentioned in the previous session about variable speed of rotation or activity of energy centers that the energy centers the chakras could be spinning at different rates uh, what did you mean by that speed of rotation and ross said each energy center has a wide range of rotational speed or as you may see it more clearly in relation to color brilliance the more strongly the will of the entity the more strongly the will of the entity concentrates upon and refines or purifies each energy center the more brilliant or rotationally active each energy center will be. It is not necessary for the energy centers to be activated in order in the case of the self-aware entity. Thus the entities may have extremely brilliant energy centers while being quite unbalanced in their violet ray aspect, which is like this summary or summation of the whole spectrum of energy centers is, the, is what, what is seen in the violet ray, like a, a, a reading, an output reading of, of the rest of the energy centers. So. Thusly, entities may have extremely brilliant energy centers below the violet while being quite unbalanced in the violet ray aspect due to the lack of attention paid to the totality of experience of the entity. So we can have like some... That. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I like that. That, to me, screams wheelbarrow, which I know is new to Nathan, but I think Mike and Nick have both heard it recently. But oh, go ahead. Share it again. Well, uh, just um, real briefly, it was... Um, uh, a question I had actually asked of a of a different channel, and uh, the image that um, the guides gave him initially was of me with a wheelbarrow, with one foot in it and sort of hopping along uh, behind it, 
Um, and he kind of chuckled as he said that. And his guides came in and said a bunch of beautiful things, basically about how um, I was in process of of still um, working to learn and intellectualize a lot of things uh, to uh, try to gain a better understanding of a lot of these principles. This is before I got to the raw work, though. Um, and um, and then also um, moving toward a state of being. And that's how they wrapped up their uh, feedback was um, get in the damn wheelbarrow. And that's kind of what I see here is this is a, a kind of a microcosmic example of how I could sit and focus on every one of my energy centers and probably meticulously pour through all the decisions that I made in a day and how that could have been processed at, at all of these individual centers and do a really great job of kind of, you know, spinning those all up to, to full speed and all that, but um, not actually paying any attention to the total experience. So that's, that's kind of neat that they have that in here. And then the next paragraph here uh, sort of summarizes that more. Uh, the key to balance may then be seen in the unstudied, spontaneous, and honest response of entities towards experiences, thus using experience to the utmost, then applying the balancing exercises, which is what's in session five will be going into, and achieving the proper attitude for the most purified spectrum of energy center manifestation and violet ray. And this is why the, the brilliance or rotational speed of the energy centers is not considered above the balanced aspect or violet ray manifestation of an entity and regarding harvestability, which is like ascension worthiness. Uh, for those entities which are unbalanced, especially as to the primary rays, which are red, yellow, and uh, blue, uh, unbalanced as to those primary rays will not be capable of sustaining the impact of the love and light of intelligent infinity to the extent necessary for harvest. So this is suggesting that there is a, there's a future harvest which requires us to be um, very balanced in order to process properly the intense energy that's that's implied by this harvesting process and that's a whole other subject too um, but maybe we should just focus on this first uh, sentence here in this paragraph um, and unpack this a little bit more because I feel like this is this is the heart of you know where some of I've been off balance, I know, a whole lot, just like you were describing, Andrew, uh, when I uh, maybe get caught up in overanalyzing and not being as honest about the responses that I'm having towards my experiences. Um, am I anxious? Am I um, pursuing things with a relaxed, peaceful attitude? Or do I feel fear that I'm not evolving fast enough? Like those kinds of things can be um, kind of hidden behind a, a veneer or a, a mask of spiritual practice when when the truth on the deeper level is that the, the, the honest responses that I'm having to reactions might not be the, the love and the light that I'm ultimately claiming that I want. It says the key may be seen. So... You can see the key in the response. The key to balance is in the response of the entity toward experience. So I guess my question there is that the key to 
uh, measuring balance or achieving balance. Um, and, and I like maybe both, but if they're saying that as we choose our response, we may choose to be in balance and we can do that in real time. Um, or perhaps I suppose they're still saying even retroactively, we can look at our responses of individual experiences and, and um, realize where we may have been out of balance. Um, but it's still all around, uh, all about experience in this case. So that's what they say in the next clause. Yeah. And there's many other sessions where they talk about uh, analysis of experiences being related to um, comprehending the different energy centers as well. Um, and they say, thus, using experience to the utmost, which to me suggests um, once we once we do take an honest, uh, once we do have the honest response, then that implies that we will begin using that experience. And then we have the opportunity then to apply the balancing exercises once we understand ourselves on that level and achieve the proper attitude for the most purified spectrum of energy center manifestation. I think the the key word in that whole thing for me is spontaneous. The, the key to balance may be seen in spontaneous uh, interactions with the world around you. So you walking down the street and a homeless person asks you for money. What is your response? Get away from me, you bum. Or is it, would you like some food? You know, can I, can we can go to the store and get you some food, you know, and you may have both responses at any different time in your life, or you may have, if you walk down the street and a homeless person asks you for food and you say, nah, get away from me. And you, you walking down the, and you hundred yards later, that entire hundred yards you were contemplating, man, that was a pretty, that was a pretty not nice thing to do. I, you know, I have more than I need let me help this person. And then the next person you, the next homeless person you get to says, Hey, I'm hungry. Can you give me some food? Then you help that person out. Like it's, it's in the contemplation of those spontaneous moments that you have growth. But he says the key to seeing the balance is in those moments. So you have those spontaneous interactions. How do you react? And then, you know, upon contemplation, could I have done it better? You know, but it says also specifically unstudied. So, yeah. so now I think I even go back a little bit on what I said about is this about contemplating in the moment and making a balanced choice? If we were to take that to be strictly, um, you know, literal, we're saying unstudied. We're neither studying it in that moment. Unstudied uh, means not labored or artificial and natural. Okay, so I guess in real time it could be unstudied. It does not mean so. Yeah, to your point, Nick. I guess in a retroactive way, it would not necessarily become studied at that point or or labored. It's just more that you had that experience and realized yeah. that you wanted. Well, that that experience is the unstudied experience, and then you can go and study it. You know, it's easy for an actor to look good on camera, but if you know. A little kid walks up to him and says, hey, can I have your autograph? And they're like, yeah, get out of here, you little squirt. You know, that's an unstudied because they're not on camera. They don't know they're being watched. It's a spontaneous thing. Then you see the yeah. true character of someone in the moments where they don't have time to really contemplate how they should act. You get their truest response. 
Yeah. All right. So I, I agree. I, I like your analysis, meaning that this is, um, and they do talk about um, in the balancing exercises later, I think, or in another session about um, sort of at the end of the day, going back through things um, that does seem to be yeah. what this is. Uh, and, referring. and I could put even a little bit more emphasis on the word honest here, because for me, it's like, I can, I can have a reaction when my wife asks for something and, you know, I can have layers of, of, uh, trying to hide my reaction <laughs> potentially it's like i don't want her to see a negative reaction so i will have the reaction initially to what she's saying and and that's the honest reaction that's the that's the yeah. earliest reaction i think that's probably a good way of looking at it too is this can you honestly see what that first reaction is before you say well i'm going to react with my body in a, in a different way i'm going to say this to her because i know this was is the safest thing to say at this time versus versus and and, and we've worked through this too and so it's, it's it's certainly an interesting thing to be in a relationship because you can see how how you can begin to become dishonest with your reactions in order to make the other person happy um but 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 when you actually do feel like there's something holding you back from open-hearted love and that deepest part of your self that's where you can apply a balancing exercise that's where you can see i'd, I'd rather I'd rather not have that reaction next time. I'm going to see if I can um, figure out why I had that negative reaction and then balance that with the positive in, inside of me uh, in some way. And I think this is this is great to go into session five now with this kind of um, setup because the balancing exercises are all about um, this process of... Uh, looking at what actually is happening inside of us when we have a reaction and then honestly evaluating that and then applying the opposite uh, in, in our meditations, basically. There's not a clear indication that, you know, when you're in a moment, you have to um, find balance in that moment. You have to, um, then after, after you have had that experience, then you apply the balancing exercises. Mike, I just add right there too. I feel like that's also the differentiation between the reaction and response sort of thing. So once you've been able to somewhat further analyze certain situations and see how you reacted, so unconsciously responding to something or acting to something, you can then later choose how you respond to actually choosing that mental configuration towards situations. So coming from more of a loving state or further analyzing, like we were talking about why you had that initial reaction and why it was anger or why it was whatever it was but being able to kind of peel back some of the layers to then better be able to respond appropriately next time as to what you were trying to trying to accomplish yeah all right so i guess we can dig into this the this is basically like you know after they said Ross said they needed a lot more time to unpack this. Then they waited till the next session, and then in session five, they begin this. Um, and the question is, um, I would like to ask the first step we should accomplish in becoming effective healers. And then Ross says we should begin with the first of three, and the three teachings are related to mind first, body second, spirit third, and the spirit is covered in session six. So they start with the mind, and they say we we begin with the mental learn teachings necessary for contact with intelligent infinity. 
and intelligent affinity is discussed so much in the material that that deserves its own separate uh discussion um but this this i think we've already discussed this a bit today this is basically like the the awareness of the god consciousness that is the the fully balanced entity is is in that state uh the prerequisite of mental work is the ability to retain silence of self at the steady state when required by the self the mind must be open like a door the key is silence so this is the prerequisite of the balancing exercises seems to be silence of self at a steady state And this is obviously uh, at other points they talk about uh, meditation, contemplation, and prayer. Um, uh, meditation, especially, is helpful for silence of the mind. And the mind must be open like a door, and the key is silence. So, uh, any, any thoughts on this initially? Um, <clears throat> not to overanalyze it, but I suppose when it says when required by the self, <clears throat> I take it as that when we're choosing to to perform uh, uh, mental work, I suppose. Right. Yeah. The balancing exercises, I think, is what is referred to as well. Yeah. The mental work that would be, I guess, self-healing. Okay. Um, within the door lies a hierarchical construction you may liken unto geography and in some ways geometry for the hierarchy is quite regular bearing interrelationships and i think this makes a lot of sense to say this is the fractal geometry of the mind yeah that definitely screams tree of life to me because that's really all about those relationships between the sephiroth that's also highly geometric um so and that's the blueprint of consciousness so makes sense yeah yeah the archetypes yeah and yeah just as a snippet for other listeners the the archetypes are uh, recommended to be studied in three different systems astrology the kabbalah uh, which is what andrew was referring to with the tree of life and then the major arcana of the tarot is the system most explored in the law of one um, so it makes sense to me that the architecture can be seen in these different ways of, of the geometry of the mind um but i but i wonder if, if it's like the the archetypes also extend into every single kind of experience and every single kind of pathway of the mind outward in some way yeah i think because it's it's all holographic and and fractal i think that the whole is in every part Mm -hmm. i think it's like a baseline too right because they're talking when you talk about the archetypes and some of those it's per each logos that the archetypal mind is formed from but there can be many different forms of that logos right so it's this regular form that's kind of being uh, i guess i'd say recycled or reused in that sense of this mental universe hmm um well there's logo going all the way up to universal right mm -hmm. that we know of for sure the cosmic logos effectively mm -hmm. and i guess i'm sorry where archetypal energies 
fall into. Um, but I suppose that they can exist at multiple levels. There's nothing um, pinning them, so to speak, at the, the very deepest roots of mind. Um, we probably retain archetypal traits uh, at each of the, the logoi level of you know refractalized uh, perpetuated consciousness this might be worth uh, finding another quote on this um i do think that they refer to the cosmic mind as being um beneath the archetypal mind um the archetypical mind is a part of that mind which informs all experience please recall the definition of the archetypical mind is the repository of those refinements to the cosmic or all mind made by this particular logos and peculiar only to this logos thus it may be seen as one of the roots of mind not the deepest but certainly the most informative in some ways the other root of mind to be recalled is that racial or planetary mind which also informs the conceptualizations of each entity to some degree so the cosmic mind might be the mind that is um, choosing to invest itself into a logos for the purpose of exploring certain archetypes or patterns of being. That was my understanding of it. It was almost like a step up on that hierarchical nature where then once it's, like you're saying, invests itself into that logos, it can then explore different archetypes or be able to use previous ones um that past logo i have used and or found benefit in or tried to test out new sort of as they call them experiments also with them it'll be so fun to dive into this uh in future sessions yeah, it's yeah like the, the levels of the mind are fascinating I mean, sorry go ahead nick no i i totally agree that the levels of the mind and it, 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 there's so much that goes in with that but for this specific section we're talking about it almost seems like they're talking about how uh the, the the different levels of the mind are affected by the different um archetypes that each um logoi sets up you know like they refer to the fact that uh you know tools were meant to be implemented in this experience and we wanted to see what tools would bring and the tongue and the mouth as the main communicator as opposed to telepathy and then you bring other minds that have gone through these other archetypes that they bring that experience into the next archetype and, and see how that plays out. Uh, I believe they also refer to, they refer to like the hands being used or the thumb? Thumb, yeah. Thumb, yeah, to, to grasp, you know? So, you know, imagine living without your thumb. You can't do it in, in this um, archetype. But if you came from another archetype, where you, you didn't have thumbs, but you could move things through telekinesis, you'd come to this one and be like, man, this thumb sucks. I, I, I want to be able to move stuff with my mind again. This thing is slow. Like, I got to pick the pencil up. I got to write it down. Yeah. And I assume this refers to, this would be like, the, the choice of the physical vehicles would be like a side effect of the um, explorations of the archetypes as they yeah. have been set up, which are, I assume it's like the, the most subtle um, aspects of the, of, of a desire of, of the logos to have particular kinds of experience and i don't even know if i don't know if they say even if the earliest bodies in this galaxy did have 
uh, humanoid bodies, or if it was if it took some experimentation to decide that our particular kind of humanoid body is the one that is best at helping explore these kinds of archetypes. Hmm. Peculiar only to the logos. That even that is still a little bit peculiar to me because logos does exist at a lot of different levels. I see what um, you're saying, Nathan, about this being more prevalent at the the logos that you know that we're a part of. Um, but it says here that it may be seen as it may be seen as one of the roots of mine, not the deepest, but certainly the most informative. So we're getting most of our our cues, so to speak, from the logos. Um, I presumably the logo, the solar logos, or perhaps the planetary logos. I, I think mostly they refer to the the galaxy, but that's maybe we should dig dig into that another session. Um, that's that's kind of a there's so many references to logos that they that they've implied that they're yeah. well and i think that that is playing into when they say in the original uh 5.2 uh within the doors lies a hierarchical construction and that's the hierarchical construction you know uh this ex this experience that we're having here versus the planetary experience versus the logo the solar logos and the galactic and you could play all the way up and all the way down with them yeah that's kind of what I was trying to get at, but you did a much better job explaining it. So thank you, Nick. <laughs> it works. That's why we have these chats. Yeah. Throw all the ideas right. in the punch bowl, and then the punch will taste better. Yeah, this is great. Um, and we've gone for a little over an hour, so maybe we'll hold off on session six, but I think we can work through this Um mind and body definitely here um, so that they they start with the body now to or we we'll start with the mind to begin to master the concept of mental discipline it is necessary to examine the self the polarity of your dimension must be internalized where you find patience within your mind you must consciously find the corresponding impatience and vice versa so this is this is discipline this is the discipline of the balancing exercise is to be able to find the corresponding bias for each of the biases. Whenever um, it comes to this for me, it is so much easier for me to, to work from the, again, I, the perceived negative end of it, you know, uh, patience and impatience. I, I would personally perceive impatience as the negative end of it. Um, so it, it always seems to me easier when you have those moments of the negative to look back and be like, oh man, um, to give a personal example, my, uh, my dog, he hurt his leg. And uh, whenever, we, whenever we leave the house and we come home, he's so excited to see us. He's trying to jump up and, and, and I get impatient with him because I just keep you know, like, you have to stay down. We're trying to let your leg heal. And almost immediately I'm like, Ah, he, he's just excited to see us. Like, don't be impatient with him yet. He doesn't understand the concept of healing his leg. It just feels a little bit better. And now he's going to use it to jump around. But the, the, to go from the, the, the one side of it to the other side of it for me is always easier. When I have moments of patience to, to, to go back and look and be like, I, I almost like don't want to do that work. And, but here it says that you have to find impatience where you have patience 
and patience where you had impatience. I totally agree. I was thinking the same thing about like equanimity. You know, if you're sitting here in this perfectly sublime state of being, um, you need to go search out a state of stress and frustration and angst or, you know, something like that. Is that what we're saying here? Well, this is specifically um, to kind of like master knowing yourself, I think. I think... Um, I think that this is not necessarily requiring we seek to have an experience so much as in, in, internally when we when we see um, that our, our life is going a certain way, it's helpful to imagine what it would be like if it weren't going that way and have that opposite experience. And then in that way, we don't attract that experience karmically as much in our outward environment because we found the balance in the inward environment. I think that's what they're saying. Yeah, don't they break that down a little more in one of those exercises as well, where you strengthen and internalize that whatever it is, that negative quality without actually acting on it or actually putting it out into the universe, but you do it as more of a mental exercise to, to balance yourself that way and to be able to have them that more loving or appropriate response to what you were trying to be more of a service to self or service to others. But it's it's more of a mental exercise, I guess, right? Yeah. I'm probably getting ahead of myself here uh, with, uh, we could probably just finish this paragraph um, and this explains it better. Um, each thought that has a being has in its turn an antithesis. Uh, each thought that a being has, has in turn an antithesis. The disciplines of the mind involve, first of all, identifying both those things of which you approve and those things of which you disapprove within yourself and then balancing each and every positive and negative charge with its equal. The mind contains all things. Therefore, you must discover this completeness within yourself. And this to me is the heart of it, is discovering the completeness within yourself. Yeah. So if I say I'm a very patient person, it gives me an opportunity to say, oh, I'm more patient than you are because I haven't found within myself the impatience, which is also me, and the patience within you, which is also you, and the oneness through that shared, um, although, although the applying this to other people, they say, is the second step, just applying it into ourself is the first step that we have to we have to understand how are we viewing ourselves in a in a biased way by saying um, this particular positive thing about myself um, is me and not the other half. But when you have that experience of you see yourself as an impatient person um, in the same measure that you could see yourself as a patient person, then then you can you can come into the deeper, fuller um, appreciation of yourself. I like the completeness here, how they, they wrap this up there, because it does give you some context, I suppose. If you're patient, you may find gratitude even, uh, for example, in, in tapping into that impatience or understanding the antithesis of the patients and feeling uh, grateful um, where you are. But certainly, obviously, in that experience, you now do see the full spectrum and that, you know, is what leads to completeness here is what they seem to be saying. Yeah. Do you see this maybe as a, oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Oh yeah, I was just gonna say that it seems like, since I think back to one of the initial statements that Rob makes about them being outside of polarity and everything too. So would this be a way of working towards balancing, I guess, that polarity to find the completeness to then almost 
become outside of polarity. So now you just see the oneness in all. Is that, mm. I don't know, is it, see where I'm going with this? Or is that, I don't know if that's a way like to ultimately kind of build up to that or. That's, that's exactly what I, I was going to say. I was just going to say to the point where, you know, if you consider yourself an impatient person and you, you look back and you find the places where you were patient, you're balancing your impatience by recognizing the patient. True also to the point where if you think you're a patient person, you could be like, I am, I am the most patient person and I am just patient all the time, but recognize where you were impatient to kind of squash yourself down to get back to that balance point. You know, you can be hubris and, and I'm the most patient and loving person in the world, uh, but like, oh yeah, but you, you got a little pissed off that one time, you know, recognize the moments of the antithesis to get to that balance point, like you're saying, where they rose above polarity because they recognized both sides of it in real time. This sounds a lot like the middle pillar stuff um, in Kabbalah also, which is again, all about being centered between these two, um, these two extremes. Um, and so I guess this does also make sense that even if you happen to find yourself in uh, a position or having an experience that you would consider to be positive or a plus, by not understanding its, its antithesis, you are lacking in a way a level of completeness because you just sort of, to the same way that you are if you, if you default to a, a negative uh, a negative experience uh, on a different spectrum, you're you're also losing the opportunity for balance or to see um, the thing in its entirety. Now, I guess moving toward the middle uh, is that such a bad thing? Like, what is what is in between patience and impatience? I want to read this other quote here from uh, session forty-two. Um, they said the question was incorrect, so we'll skip that. But they say the exercise of first experiencing feelings and then consciously discovering their antithesis within the being has as its, as its objective, not the smooth flow of feelings, both positive and negative, while remaining unswayed. So they're not saying we should try to have negative experiences. That's not the point of this, but rather the objective of becoming unswayed. So the more we find this completeness within ourselves the less we're swayed by these reactions which have a, a charge to them and we don't have to go down those paths of being imbalanced okay that makes sense it's more about being unswayed yeah and then as nathan said when you when you get to that unswayed point then you rise above uh polarity you kind of see both aspects of i don't know each interaction each whatever it is but as ross said um they're they're above polarity. Yeah, they it's almost hard to fathom. Was that? Oh, no, I just it's almost hard to even fathom that being outside of polarity. But it seems yeah. like it's a stepping stone to, yeah. to to getting to that point in the higher densities. Yeah, but it's it seems. I mean, to to put it in the absolute most crude uh, example I could, it's practicing recognition of both so that you it, it's it's instinct to be unswayed like if you were practicing free throws and you step up to the free throw line you're you're going to sink that bucket every time because you've practiced it so much you know and and it's almost like 
practice in any discipline, they were practicing, you know, this, the ultimate discipline. So the, the next paragraph here was uh, the second mental discipline is acceptance of the completeness within your consciousness. I think we've got ahead of ourselves again, because they're saying, um, basically, once you discover in the first step, discover the um, the imbalance or the positive or negative charge, and then find the opposite charge, then you have to accept this completeness within your consciousness. And they say, it is not for a being of polarity in the physical consciousness to pick and choose among attributes, thus building the roles that cause blockages and confusions in the already distorted mind complex. And we can unpack that here. They say, each acceptance smooths part of the many distortions that the faculty you call judgment engenders. So when they say uh, picking and choosing among attributes, I think this could be like, if you are an impatient person, you 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 would want to say that um, you're a patient person. And then if you're saying you're a patient person, you could be trying to build a role artificially that causes blockages, confusions, and the already distorted mind complex. But the acceptance of the completeness is what smooths the the process of judgment, the faculty of judgment. So I guess... I guess this is just saying don't be non-accepting of the attributes that you've assigned yourself for your own growth and healing process um, because these are the, the, the already distorted mind complex distortions which are there for a reason. Yeah, I look at that word attributes. It's just interesting to me because I see that as then also a little bit what we were talking about earlier, the whole biases thing and characteristics because you don't necessarily get to choose what sort of characteristics or biases form in your mind. If anything, you you need to then analyze those further and, and accept them for what they are and, and better understand them to be able to, um, I guess, get to that acceptance point there. But it's something that's, uh, it's what they say, you don't get to choose them is ultimately what I'm getting at is that's just kind of parts of you, your characteristics that you've been given or chosen to come into this life with that will offer you the most growth, I guess, once you can accept those and, and work through those. Right. Yeah. A simpler example than saying patients and impatience would be saying, I'm tall or short. You don't really pick if you're tall or short. You've already chosen that before you're born, essentially, um, mm -hmm. by your parents, which relates to the food you'll be eating and all that is connected. Um, so you don't get to choose to be a different height. Um, you get to find a way to accept the, the way that you are. I can give another example. The, uh, the, the example I said earlier about uh, seeing a homeless person and choosing to give them money or, or uh, uh, buy them a meal or something, it's, uh, it, it's a real world experience I had where I was like, I think I was 15 and my friend and I drove into the city uh, in Philadelphia when I lived in Philly and we sat down to eat at like a checkers and uh, a guy rolled in and he had one leg, he was in a wheelchair, he was clearly disheveled and, and uh, you know, maybe not using the money that he received for the best stuff, you know? And so he rolled in and uh, started asking every table, can I have some money? And like aggressively asking, give me some money, give me some money. And my initial judgment was like, no, I'm not going to give you money. Like, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Like, you're just going to go spend it on, you know, booze or drugs and you're going to be wrecking your life even more. And, you know, 
all, all that happened in a fraction of a second as he rolled up to our table. All these thoughts ran through my head. And as he rolled away, I was, I, I thought like, this is not, this is not the best way I could have handled this situation. And he rolled to the guy's table behind us. And the guy said, you want money? What do you need money for? And the guy said, food. And he goes, all right. And he, he walks up to the counter and he says, order anything you want. I'll get you anything you want. And I mean, that was the universe just smacking me in the face. Like, you, okay, you had the thought you could have been better. This is how you could have been better. And ever since that point, I've always offered food or water or whatever it is, because, you know, it, it, it's just a better way to be, you know? And then to further go into that point, probably 10 years down the line, still living in Philadelphia. And uh, this lady who had just happened to meet at a, at a bar, we were sitting and chatting and a homeless guy came up and I said, would you like something to eat? It was a bar that served food. And um, he said, no, I just want money. And I was like, I'm sorry, man, I can't just give you money. And this lady who I had just met handed him money. And we continue, we, we then went on after he left to have a conversation about it. And ultimately her point, which she, she put it, so eloquently was if you want to help that person help that person it's not your decision how to help that person if they want money and you offer food and they don't want food they just want money now you're left with the choice do you still just want to help that person or do you want to help that person in the way that you think is best and I, that lady blew me away. I mean, I, I never saw her again after that, but I, I took those lessons in the life because it's just like those judgments that you make, you don't even realize the harshness of some of the nice, you know, quote unquote, nice judgments you make until the universe comes in and says, oh, well, you know, you could be a little more lenient. You could be a little nicer in your judgments. Yeah. I feel like that was kind of specifically asked about in session 42. Um the question was, many entities here feel great compassion toward relieving physical problems of third density other selves by administering to them in many ways, bringing them food if there is hunger, as there is in African nations now, bringing them medicine if they require that. Um, this is creating a polarization or vibration that is in harmony with green or fourth density. However, it is not balanced with the understanding of fifth density that these entities are experiencing catalyst and more balanced administration to their needs would be be to provide them with the learning necessary to reach the state of awareness of fourth density. And Ross says this is incorrect, that uh, we shouldn't be um, helping them because it, it, because they're already experiencing the catalyst that they're needing. Um, Ross says to a mind-body-spirit complex, which is starving, the appropriate response is the feeding of the body. You may extrapolate from this. On the other hand, however, you are correct in your assumption that the green ray response is not as refined as that which has been imbued with wisdom this wisdom enables the entity to appreciate its contributions to the planetary consciousness by the quality of its being without regard to activity or behavior, which expects results upon visible planes. So the quality of its being without, without expectations of responses yeah. on the visible planes. Um, yeah. I mean, and that lady, <laughs> She just, she laid it out like gospel. I don't know whether she read the law of one or, you know, what, what she's taken into her life to come up with that. But she, she said that she's like, you, know, you can't give something expecting one or the other thing. You just have to act upon whether or not you feel like you want to help this person. It's like a blend of being able to respect their free will. So they already have this in their mind. So if you 
don't give them the money and their ultimate intention is to say, go buy drugs, the next person yeah. that will hand them money, they're still going to do that. So right. you need to honor their free will and the experiences and the catalyst that they have coming to them is, is going to ultimately then decide their path from there. So if you're in that state, if you're all, you're, goal is basically to be of service to others. So your service at that time is either in your, in your case, they're providing the money or that you can't have an expectation behind what they can and can't do with it. It's yeah. From a matter of free well, will. Um, I would go another step further. I think that while Ra was very explicit about feeding the hungry, uh, which makes a lot of sense, they didn't necessarily say that helping someone that's asking for money is that giving them money is actually the help that they need or the help that they, you know, uh, might learn through. It might mean not getting the money and not getting that fix and, and finding an alternative that night that might allow them to turn the corner or have them, you know, fight through withdrawals or something like that, that might also be something that they're calling into themselves. So, I guess, in other words, while it's not ours to decide what help is, uh, I don't know that the small self uh, or the egoic structure of the the being before us is as knowledgeable about what help uh, is either. And sometimes the the help that an addict might need, for example, is going through withdrawals to hit rock bottom and decide that they want to turn around. So I do like that this passage is here, but they're really clear about this is this is food, this is basic necessity. And and a, a third density being is not likely to continue its uh, its soul journey or its path um, a lot farther and be able to explore its spiritual existence if it can't eat. It is definitely a challenging issue. When they say you may extrapolate from this, um, I, I, I like to extrapolate a lot, <laughs> but I think that the, the idea of, that the quality of of its being is only you know determined fully when 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 that 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 loving response is refined with wisdom that's that's where the planet you know, has not reached that stage yet so that's why it's almost like um it's, it's like we have to trust our hearts because that's where the in the condition in the veiled condition where we don't have that wisdom i think trusting your heart is kind of the the starting point and then if your heart is telling you, like, I need to help this person by, you know, withholding this particular service, but offering this other particular service, I think that's the way to look at it. And I think really, as long as you know that you're offering service, that, that might be the, the key of it. Yeah, I think that the wisdom here is like, if you're a parent of, uh, of a child with addiction and they're asking you for money, uh, you may be wise enough to not give them that money but obviously to continue keeping a roof over their head or feeding them etc so yeah yeah that, that makes sense and, and you boil down then to intention so you have this intention to be of service and however you feel directed to then provide that service is what's appropriate at that time so whether that is we're saying providing the money or withholding the money or anything but you're doing it out of a loving nature with an intention to be of service that's at least the way i typically look at these things if we're if i'm on the road or driving down the street and you see the homeless there i'm i have the intention i want to be of service so if i have a water bottle in my car if i have extra change or cash in the car i want to be of service to help if i can but if i don't at that time it's 
I still have that loving intention, but there's nothing I, I can do at that time. And that could be the catalyst that they're asking for as well, or catalyst for me at the same time too. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's almost even the word help is, is too broad in this case, because it's all service effectively, whether you give them money and regardless of what they choose to do with it, or you don't give them money, whatever you do is serving as catalyst for that person. Uh, regardless, I mean, you're, you're still, you know, acting as a teacher to them regardless. I could give another example. When, when I moved out to Colorado, I was at a dispensary. And when I left the dispensary, there was a guy at, at the exit of the um, parking lot and his sign said uh, um, something along the lines of uh, donations, weed only. <laughs> and that struck me. So I, I stopped and I talked to the guy and I was like, weed only. I was like, I got bottles of water in the car. You know, would you like, he's like, no, man, I, I have a job and I make plenty of money to provide for my family and I, but I don't have extra money to get the other things that I prefer. And I was <laughs> like, got it, got it. So you don't want us to give you money because you're making money but you would you would accept some weed because he wanted to smoke a J. So I gave him a J. But that's another one of those, you know, those teaching moments where you're like, okay, what's going on here? Because he didn't look, you know, like he didn't look like he was living on the streets or anything like that. So it really struck me. I had to pull over and talk to the dude. But it's another one of the teaching moments where you, you know, you think you think you have a good concept on the uh, situation and then the situation goes, nope, you didn't even know the, uh, step one. <laughs> it could be a more clear extrapolation. If, if the mind, body, spirit complex is without cannabis, get them some cannabis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that, that definitely is a, a lot easier example than the dude who, you know, in Philly was, he was clearly on some harder drugs. And my, my thought process at the time was, you know, um, I'd love to help you out, but I'm not going to help you go put yourself into a condition where you might then go on and damage other people. And uh, it, it's definitely, I, I see what you're saying, Andrew, where the wisdom comes in and like, you, you kind of have to, I think that also comes into where they say quietness of mind at, at the, at yourself's demand, you know, like you pull up to the corner and the guy's asking for weed and then you, you quiet your mind and the universe says, well, I can give him a J. You know, right. you might not know all the factors, but if you're able to quiet your mind and receive, you know, guidance yeah. from your higher self or from intelligent infinity, you, you, you'll come to that conclusion right away. Now, I wasn't able to do that at the time. I, my mind was going a mile a minute. Like, why, why just weed? Why is he sitting here? Like, why does it? And then, so I went and I asked him, but maybe if I had been able to like get that instant meditative moment, I would have just immediately known, yeah, give him a J. Yeah. We have so much help uh, from our guides in the areas where we don't have wisdom yeah. We have an open heart. We're in the vibration that is capable of receiving that guidance, I think. Yeah. And I've had many experiences where I was basically told there's a homeless person around the corner before I get to that point. Yeah. And it's like knowing that I have the ability to help them, knowing that I need to be looking for them. I know I need to give them help at that point. And yeah. that's happened to me a number of times. Um, and it doesn't always have to be something like that. Like, like, uh, helping somebody financially or getting some, uh, getting some weed or something like that. I, I had a situation where uh, I left my apartment complex and my 
car was parked on the road. And when I went out to the road, there was a, a guy sitting in a 2005 uh, Subaru Impreza, which I used to have. And I loved that car. I, it went to like 220,000 miles. It was a beautiful car. And I was like, I should go tell him never sell that car. Nah, I'm not going to bother him. And then I sat in my car and as it's warming up, it, my head just kept going, go talk to him, go talk to him, go talk to him. I walked over to the dude and I said, hey man, never sell this car. This is a gem. And the guy started tearing up immediately. It turns out it was his son's car. His son had, I think it was MS. He had died two years previously. He had the key, which clearly wasn't his everyday set of keys. This was a special car he drove when, when he was thinking of his son and all that. And uh, on the keychain had a finger, uh, the thumbprint of his son. And he, he started tearing up and he was like, I'm never going to sell it. I'm so happy you said that. This was my son's. And I drive it when I'm thinking of him. And I'm, I'm, I got to tell my wife, you know, that I met somebody else. And, but it, it brought this moment of joy to him that, you know, if I had just gotten in my car and driven away, had the thought and not re responded, it, it, it would have been a moment past. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe we could just finish up. Um, these are, these are great examples. Uh, and I think that this is all applying a little bit to, um, you know, like applying the balancing of our ability to be accepting of those around us. And that's kind of what they talk about with the next steps here. Um, the third discipline of the mind is repetition of the first, but with the gaze outward towards the fellow entities that it meets and each entity there exists completeness. Thus, the ability to understand each balance is necessary. When you view patients, or uh, you're responsible for mirroring in your mental understanding, patients, impatience. And I think they they use the patients and patients together to say these are two sides of the same coin. That um, the, the you know the slash is not Rob did not say when they were transcribing this. Rob didn't say add a slash here. Patients slash impatience. They just said patients, impatience, almost saying. Impatience is a kind of patience, or patience is a kind of impatience. When you're looking at it this way, um, it's the same. It's the same concept together. Um, when you view patience, you're responsible for mirroring your mental understanding. Patience, impatience. So you see, you see uh, the patience or the impatience, and you see that this is a part of something that you have within yourself, which is this concept, which is I have the ability to have these um, balanced or imbalanced reactions to things through my patience and impatience. And you can um, you can see this in your in your in your mind, your mental understanding. That's my interpretation of this mirroring in your mental understanding. Um, I uh, just to add to that, patience is actually one of the things I've put on my list of things that doesn't exist in truth. And and this actually resonates here with the statement. What they're saying is that when you to to declare something or claim something or someone as patient. Um, you are to one extent or another sort of highlighting the antithesis because you're saying that somebody is patient despite some condition or circumstance in which you would you know normally expect them to be to be impatient and so to to call out patience um, in a way is really spurred on by impatience and that's why I say that patience doesn't actually exist in its truest form, because if you were truly patient there, you're not waiting for anything. You, it's not about, um, you know, I can wait as long as it takes. It's, it's about being completely whole in the moment in which you stand and that everything that's present is perfect 
just the way that it is. So this makes a lot of sense to me that you are mirroring your, you're sort of mirroring the, the, the inverse almost in this case. So if you see patients, then you're, you're mirroring the impatience that, that it takes, you know, to, to claim something as patient, if that makes sense. Yeah. Another example could be when you view a homeless person who looks like they're greedy, you're, you're perceiving a greediness and what they're wanting. And you, you could say, I can see a generosity in them as well. I can see greed and generosity as being something that's the completeness within them. And once you get to that place of seeing both, I think that's easier to forgive them for what you perceive as a fault in the homeless person. If you see, if you see them as imbalanced in this way, you can imagine the aspect of themselves, which is the balanced aspect. And you can see that also in yourself. And I feel like that's that, that, that completeness is, is the, is the way in which we begin to get closer to um, open-hearted state that is capable of receiving higher wisdom through, through our guidance. Um, so to go, I, to, that, to, go, to go back to that example, where uh, I saw the guy in, in his car, um, legitimately went through my head, creepy, not creepy. Like you're going to walk up to some random dude's car and he's going to be like, who is this creep? And then uh, maybe it won't, maybe it'll take it well, you know? And it, it just, you know, they harp on patience and patience, but it goes, you know, what are the two sides of the coin? And I legitimately in my mind was like, that's a pretty creepy move that just randomly and the universe said, no, it's, it's not. Try it out. And they mirrored this concept here when you view impatience as necessary for a mental configuration of understanding to be impatience, patience. And we use this as a simple example. Most configurations of mind have many facets and an understanding of either self-polarities or what you would call other self-polarities can and must be understood as subtle work. So it's never going to be a clear-cut um, situation with a homeless person. It's going to be a very subtle process of discerning. And I guess probably trying to be as honest as you can about what you're actually seeing and allowing that to be um, processed and understood on a deeper level goes back to when Andrew was saying to use the wisdom in the situation. Mm -hmm. And the next step is the acceptance of the other self polarities, which mirrors the second step. So I kind of say, talking about that also, once you, once you perceive this seeming judgment of the other self, you then, you then have to find that balance, find that completeness and find the acceptance. And that acceptance is the process of opening your heart more and more, I think. Yeah, and this also to me is about the uh, disciplines of the personality know yourself accept yourself become the creator we can just we can cover that more in a different uh, uh session here but i think the knowing the self is what they say is the hardest part which is this process of uh finding the antithesis of each of the imbalanced biases that have the positive or negative charges and then eventually becoming unswayed through the acceptance of the completeness. Um, when we're talking about positive and negative charges, I was gonna ask this earlier. So this is kind of broad applying to all of this. Would we, would we presume that this is as measured by an emotional response or the emotional guidance system or um, in an intellectualized 
manner to decide that which thing is positive or negative or I think this goes right back to the unstudied, spontaneous, and honest response of entities towards experiences, which I think would be an emotional reaction. Okay. And that I like because I, I trust the emotional guidance system when it's used properly. So it makes sense that this isn't an exercise of thinking our way through these things, um, but rather understanding the feelings that arose in them and that when a feeling is present, there's perhaps polarity implicit yeah uh any, any feeling other than love i think uh well i, I don't know if I, I said that right that, that there have there have been discussions in the love one around um emotional imbalance also that um suggest that to the fully balanced entity um there is no emotional charge other than a reaction of love i might be able to find that one that almost sounds like a, a, a hierarchy of your response. You know, if you're constantly coming from love, then your emotions will come from love. Your actions will then be of love, you know? So it's, it's that step upwards to, um, you know, the, the, the unstudied spontaneous response. If you're 50-50 love and fear, then 50-50 your emotions can go from, love or fear and then you know 50 50 your response will be one or the other and then if you analyze the 50 good responses you know good responses and the 50 not good responses then you start to get a more complete understanding of well if i hadn't had this which led to this which was rooted in this you know that seems like that's what that mental work is all about so session 42 interesting we keep coming back to this session um don had brought up an example if a bull in a pen attacks you because you have wandered into his pen you get out of his way rapidly but you do not blame him or you do not have much of an emotional response other than um the fear response that he might damage you however if you encounter another self in his territory and he attacks you your response may be more of an emotional nature creating physical bodily responses Am I correct in assuming that when your response to the animal and to the other self, seeing both as the creator and loving both and understanding their action and attacking you is the action of their free will, then you have balanced yourself correctly in this area. Is this correct? And Ross says this is basically correct. However, the balanced entity will see in the seeming attack of another self, the causes of this action, which are in most cases of more complex nature than the cause of attack of the second density bull as, you, as was your example. Thus the balanced entity would be open to many more opportunities for service to a third density other self. And uh, Don asks, would a perfectly balanced entity feel an emotional response when being attacked by the other self? And Ross says, is this correct? The response is love. Hmm. I think I skipped over the part I was looking for. Um, Might've been the previous session where they say that um, Well, I'll read this. Uh, we read this earlier here. The, the objective of becoming unswayed is the, is, the, is the end product. And they said further, the catalyst of experience works in order for the learned teachings of this density to occur. However, if there is seen in the being a response, 
even if it is simply observed, the entity is still using the catalyst for learned teaching. The end result is that the catalyst is no longer needed. Thus, the density is no longer needed. This is not indifference or objectivity, but a finely tuned compassion and love which sees all things as love. This seeing elicits no response due to catalytic reactions. Thus, the entity is now able to become co-creator of experiential occurrences. This is the truer balance. And this is why I think they say the third discipline of the personality is become the creator. First, know yourself to accept yourself. And now the catalyst of knowing and accepting yourself is no longer there. Now the entity is able to become co-creator of ex experiential occurrences. This is the truer balance is becoming the creator. And that's what love is doing. Love is this creative energy that's creating the entire galaxy and creating the universe through, through uh, free will to have this experience. I went off in too many directions there, maybe. I think there's there such a thing. I mean, that's that's raw in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> it's all one, so it's all connected. Yeah. I think that goes back to the um, the one we were talking about with session uh, 4-20. Realize that, uh, realizes deep within itself the law of one. There is no disharmony, no imperfection. All is complete and whole. And, and it's, you know, it's easy to say, it's easy to think, but then you go out into the world and the world throws just, you know, such intricate uh, catalysts at you. It's, it's not so easy to act upon in, in every situation. Yeah. But then if you, if you could, because like you said, Mike, extrapolate from here and I like to extrapolate. So you have, you have one of those, um, those moments where you, the, the situation is so complex when it's thrown at you in real time and then you make your reaction. If you go back and you over, not overanalyze it, but you go back and you analyze it, you can find where, you know, it, it was the way it was supposed to be and you can act from love. Uh, maybe you didn't that time, Hopefully you will next time. But if you could embody that everything is perfect, everything is whole, I think that the day-to-day -day situations would more easily, you'd respond towards love if you could just, just truly embody that in your being at your core. Yeah. I feel like this is also kind of the, the reason why the, the book of Genesis started out with this analogy of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil as being this wandering away from the tree of life or this separation rooted in this sense of good and evil as being this this thing that we have to be processing the world in terms of because once you once you get rid of this judgment uh or, or the need for judgment through the seeing of the completeness uh, that you never truly can have uh one positive charge without the negative charge um in this world of polarity and that these are a part of the same identity then you can then you can fully find that love and forgiveness on a more automatic level i agree with that the the not the tree of knowledge of good and evil um i think symbolically is the um the choice or the decision uh as much tied to self-worth probably as anything as to how much of the light is present or to accept and so judgment is always a function of um 
of perception based on how much of the light is being perceived in any one thing. And so what we're talking about here is the realization that everything is only one thing. Yeah. And Ra also says, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, I like the quote is reminding me of the quote for the best way to be of service. And it's the radiating the love of the creator as it's known to the self. So it's where you're at on that journey is basically what you'll be able to radiate and how far along you come will determine where you're at at that time. And I know I just keep going back to that one all the time. It's one of the most important quotes that that come up with at least. Yeah, that's service. And the, the thing that I always, that, that has helped me in my life uh, immensely was the section where he says uh, something along the lines of your universe was created to have evil. You know, otherwise it's like playing poker and knowing that all the hands, you knowing the dealer's hand, it's just too easy. There's no consequence, you know, and that Genesis story could be about that. We lived in the Garden of Eden and everything was perfect and you know it was easy to be patient it was easy to be loving because you didn't even know evil existed you know everything you could do the right path every time because there you there was no wrong pass path and then we learned and through that learning it produces more catalysts and when ra says it's like playing a game of poker and and knowing all the hands that quote pops into my head all the time because i'm like all right, you know, this, that was a challenging situation, but you know, it was a, it was a moment to learn. It was a moment to grow. It, it helps uh, difficult situations, maybe not be easier in the physical, but definitely easier for you to process mentally. Cause you can think of it as a, uh, as a help towards your, your greater growth, as opposed to just, you know, stubbing your toe and being mad about it. Like, okay, I can exude, I can exude patience here now, or I could just get mad about it. Yeah, I would love to go over the poker game analogy in another session too. And the one Nathan mentioned about the most useful way of being of service. Um, and I feel like we probably should wrap up pretty soon here. Um, and do you do you want to look those two up, Mike, and, and I, we'll write them down? Um, yeah, I think uh, we can. Um, well, we can we can handle that in the, in the next meeting. We can go over those. But just make a note. I mean. If we, if you looked them up, well, you have a recording. Yeah. I was going to say, so we don't forget we could write them down, but you have the recording. Never yeah, it's, it's recording. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think we can finish up with the mind area here and then um, do the body next time too. And well, maybe we can also dig into the different kinds of bodies. We can get really deep into that subject and figure out what was, what, what is the implications of a discussion of the body really um, when we're talking about time space bodies as well as space time bodies, metaphysical bodies. Um, but the, um, they say the four, fourth step, um, was the acceptance of other self polarities. And the fifth step re relating to the mind involves, um, observing the geographical and geometrical relationships and ratios of the mind, the other mind, the mass mind and the infinite mind. And so here we're definitely talking about the tree of mind and this is, Interesting, interesting that this is seen as a separate step that you'd work on in your meditations. Um, I guess when you're um, able to fully accept those around you, then you begin to see the relationships uh, relating to the relationships of everything going on in the mind and the other mind and the mass mind and the infinite mind. And it's interesting to me, this could delve into areas like, you know, how do we heal 
political divides, how do we heal religious divides? Although very few in our culture maybe are finding the pathways to to heal those divides, but these relationships um, between the different polarities that are existing in the deeper aspects of the mind um, are something I think inevitably we we have to heal as a planet. I think that's why the first step is for the mind to know itself, because you you have to have a firm rooted idea of yourself before you can uh, really go out there and apply it to the rest of the world. That's that's you know part of the the great divide and conquer uh, um, strategy. If if the people are constantly fighting with each other, then the greater problems will never get addressed because they're constantly in this myopic view of you know their own problems and their own existence. Whereas if they had the 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 time and the energy to dive into it, they might you know see their neighbor as uh, just another. Another person going through some stuff, and if we if we banded together, we could solve the streets problems, and then if the streets and the community banded together, and it could just grow and grow and grow. But it all starts with the one individual. Yeah. Yeah, and obviously the the, the archetypes are a part of this discussion too. And <laughs> I feel like if we could all try to see other people as purified embodiments of archetypes, it's probably easier to forgive them as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Agreed. And it's interesting. That. Oh, go ahead, Mike. I was just going to say the archetypes are, you know, a lot of these images are like royalty. It's like, it's like the purified concept is seen as like, uh, you know, the, the, the closer to God or the closer to um, divine or closer to um, something worthy of reverence. And I think the process of becoming more reverent in our manner of being is also probably related to this uh, archetypal seeking yeah and seeing you know each person is the person that they are because you're born and and when we're born we're all more or less the same you know what i mean like we're an entity uh, we have a gender but other than that uh you move forward and then you start to split you know you, you have your experiences which turn you into this person, but more or less, you're just a baby, you know, and then you start to pile on all these things. And then the world sees you as the, the baby grown up with all these things piled on. And what they're kind of saying is, no, 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 just just look at that as another person, you know, take the archetype instead of, you know, Nick from Denver, from, you know, like, take all that stuff away and connect with each person's core. And that would be like the archetypical um, concepts. Yeah. Though um, just um, a paragraph or two below there, it does say that, by the way, you said we're born as our gender, but it actually says specifically that we're the opposite. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's, that, that's kind of why I made that point. Like you're born as a baby. And the very first thing that you could, someone could assign you to differentiate you from other babies is gender. And they specifically say right there, each male is female and each female is male. So that's like kind of saying, don't, don't start laying those labels on people right out of the gate. You know, just take the archetypical person. Mm -hmm. Recognize the all in each. Yeah. And the differences between uh, male and female are specifically archetypal in these images. 
-hmm. and we all have each archetype and and yet we all have male and female aspects when we mm -hmm. call upon the different for example the unconscious mind versus the conscious mind and the um the nature of wisdom with use of the body versus the nature of balance with use of the body is seen as male and female um in the body cards but we but that's definitely another di discussion for another time too i think um i think that would be interesting to break down more something they talk about it in the previous set of densities that was like the male female was created at that stage was it at that octave before we came into this one so and obviously it permeates down into all of our archetypes so right i think that could be an interesting one to explore a little more because obviously there's a lot of um for lack of a better word history almost to those uh types of polarities there yeah yeah they're they're it might be hard for me to look up right now but there are definitely like two different references to the harvest of the previous universe into this universe which dealt with the nature of these archetypes mm -hmm. all right this was a really great conversation i think that was um a little over two hours now and uh probably worth wrapping up uh, do you guys want to add anything about this before we close um, no, it's uh, definitely always good to get together and talk about the law of one. So certainly appreciate you pulling us together today, Mike. Hey, thank you, Mike. Yeah, appreciate it. This is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I just absolutely love the chance to get people, talk to people who have clearly studied the material. And, you know, it's great to, it's great to, to uh, compare it to our lives too and, and get, get a little bit more of uh, perspectives that way. Yeah, because it's all words on a page until you can bring in some real life experiences, you know? Yeah. Knowledge becoming understanding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's nice to be able to share when you were able to take that wisdom that was just words on a page and transfer it into your life because, you know, you're, you're not as unique as you think. Other people are having the experiences <laughs> you're having. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing we realize with a lot of these meetups and groups is that once you share your experience, someone almost instantly can can relate to that and have yeah. a better understanding. And in that sense, too, you could possibly help someone through something by saying, yeah, this was what I experienced, but here's how I got through it, or here's yeah. the way I interpreted it. And, it, you know, it gives them a better basis to go off of, I guess. Mm -hmm. So that whole be the change, you know, if you, if you have a lot of time to sit and contemplate, and you can uh, go through a catalyst to use the raw materials terms. If you go through a catalyst and, and help somebody get through that same catalyst, you know, that's, you're being the change, you're exuding the change. Exactly, yeah. All right. Uh, thanks again. I guess right, guys. Thanks, guys. Now, we'll see you next time. Yeah. Hey, Mike, are we going to, is this going to be the recurring address and passcode? Um, I'm debating if it should be switched into a different format. Uh, I'm also debating if I should use, uh, a completely separate video streaming system called rendezvous, which would be like a, li a, a separate link that, that, that it doesn't look like a zoom link, but it just opens up on the web browser. And that would allow me to have higher definition, higher quality streams than zoom allows. Strangely, I don't necessarily know, um, if this is a limitation I can't overcome with Zoom, but it seems like Zoom has some quality issues that are not present in some of these other video systems. Not that it's a big deal. They don't, we don't need to see our, our pimples and everything, but.
<laughs> That's true. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just, just keep us posted, man. Uh, yep. Very much enjoy it. So, you know, anytime. Yep. All right. Take care. Thank you. Thanks. 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 Than